everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and today it's a How I Got Here version of the podcast where I ask people in the racing industry how they got to where they are today, what their career path was, and I'm so happy to be joined by Mike Zizzo from Texas Motor Speedway, where he heads up the public relations. Now, if you don't work in racing, you may not be familiar with Mike since he's more of a behind-the-scenes guy, but I can promise you if you are in PR or media in American racing of any kind, you probably know Ziz. Mike Zizzo is sort of a legend at this point in the American racing world. He's been not only at Texas Motor Speedway for a long time, but previously had stints in the PR for both NASCAR and CART during the open wheel split, CART now IndyCar. So he's been around for a while, seen it all, or at least most of it, and he is this week's feature for the How I Got Here series. All right, everybody, I'm here with Mike Zizzo, who is the Vice President of Media Relations at Texas Motor Speedway. Mike, this is so fun. I'm so excited about this that you agreed to do this. Oh, it's my pleasure. It'll be fun. We'll go through my history a little bit. Um, it, it's, it'll be interesting at times, probably boring at others, but uh, we'll have some fun with it. I don't think there's going to be many boring parts of the story. Uh, you have a pretty crazy background. Um, so I guess, first of all, can you just let people know, um, aside from maybe the nacho bar that they've seen on Twitter, what do you do here at Texas um, so we can understand how you got to this point? Besides making the nachos? Right. Um, I handle all the media relations, so that entails any driver events we do, uh, setting up credentials for media, uh, working with the marketing team on certain initiatives we have there, and then being on the executive team here at TMS, so on some of the bigger picture items. Um, So we get to do uh, advances with drivers. We had Daniel Suarez this year. Uh, We had a special guest in Jared Leto uh, earlier this week, which was really cool, and uh, you know, we'll have Kevin Harvick in the fall. So a lot of media events and such. So it's basically just managing the media and make sure when they come to visit us that uh, we get the coverage we're looking for and as well as uh, accommodating them as guests for the weekend. And so how long have you been here working at the track now? Feels like 50 years. <laughs> no, this will be, I joined in 05 after I left NASCAR. So I'm starting, I believe, year 13. Wow, wow. Okay, so obviously you didn't just magically plop down here in Texas and start your career here. So um, how does your career path start? Where, where did this whole thing begin for you? I was a scribe just like you were Okay. Uh, back in the day. Um, I graduated from Florida Southern College in Lakeland, uh, wanted to be a sports writer, and uh, I was fortunate enough to land at a major paper at the Orlando Sentinel. And just like uh, any young scribe, I started out on the agate desk and did a lot of box scores before I got my break. And, People uh, calling in with their high school football scores oh, yeah. and you're taking the stats and stuff on the phone. That was the worst thing ever when you had to do, oh, <laughs> uh, we got a call in. You got to do the call in. You're like, oh, no stats, please. <laughs> and yeah. then you got to move up and you actually got to cover a game, which was awesome. But uh, I worked at the Lakeland Ledger when I was at Florida Southern, so I got a lot of uh, game time experience and live experience, which was great, and that helped me at the Sentinel. And I covered everything from the Jacksonville Jaguars first year to the Tampa Bay Lightning to the Citrus Bowl to a lot of preps. So it was a a great experience for me, and that actually led into racing, which was actually odd for me. So had you covered um, much racing to that point or how did how did the move to go into racing get on your radar 
they put it on my radar. Okay. So I was living in Cocoa Beach, and I was covering Brevard County preps and, and doing some other uh, sports, some college sports, some pro sports, spring training, and they, I got the call. They're like, congratulations, you're our new auto racing rider. <laughs> and I grew up in, in New England, and my dad loved cars, but he never went to any races or anything. And they're like, you're the auto racing rider. I'm like, What? <laughs> I said, I don't know anything about auto racing. I said, I grew up in New York. The only thing I see going to circle is horses. Yeah. I like Belmont. And they're like, well, you better learn it. So I, I, I swear I was so panicked because it was one of those sports I I never really followed. I did a little bit on the outside, and I knew, I mean, growing up as a kid, I loved Mario Andretti because he was Italian. I was rooted for him in the Indy 500 and then in NASCAR with Richard Petty and all that. But never really followed it enough that I, I can cover it. So when they told me that, I was panicked. I'm like, what am I going to do? And my good friend in Cocoa Beach, Mark Tate, he grew up in Hickory, grew up with the Jarrett's. So he was over the moon that oh. I was going to cover NASCAR. And I said, well, you're going to be my mentor. So I'll never forget, I was so panicked that we went up to Daytona during testing. And I said, we got to go around the garage and you got to help me here. And he was explaining everything. It was awesome. And he knew a bunch of the guys that were on the cruise. They were like, hey, Mark Tate. And and, and it, it put me at ease. And it was a, a great training period for me, especially at testing because it's more laid back. Not a lot of reporters there where I can ask that stupid question. <laughs> and uh, it was really cool. But the, the one thing you'll probably love is they were talking about testing. And we asked Jack Roush, of all people, about testing and trying to get that extra tenth of a second on a car he started telling us about this matrix system they did they changed the springs with the shocks and they do all this different changes to find the ultimate so i'm thinking everyone knows about the matrix system oh so who do i find of all people the novice i'm like hey there's hut strickland i'm gonna ask hut strickland about the matrix system if they use it on their team so Mark and I walk up to Hut, and we're talking to him about racing and the season. And I asked him, I said, Jack Grouse, talk about this matrix system. What do you know about it? He goes, May what? <laughs> and all of a sudden, his crew guy goes, Hut, get in the car. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. So what year was this that you started on the racing beat? It was uh, 1992 was my first race at Atlanta, which was Richard Petty's last race, oh. Jeff Gordon's first race. My first race. So that was wow. 92, I believe, right? Huh. That, that's the other part of the story. Everybody talks about Petty and Gordon, but they don't say Mike Zizzo's yeah. first race. I'm way down on that list. <laughs> but I also went with Mark Tate. He went with me to that race, and I'll never forget on that one, he said, before we even get going, we're going to go to turn one. We're going to stand in turn one outside the fence so you can realize what these guys do for a living. And I was blown away, and I said, wow, this is incredible. And if you recall that race... Kawicki wins the championship. Davey Allison gets in a wreck. Ernie Irvin's involved. Billy Elliott, if he stays out and gets the laps, then he gets more points. I mean, there were so many storylines. I'm like, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. There's so many great storylines. And, in fact, I got on the front page of the Orlando Sentinel for Richard Petty's last race. So it was just an incredible experience, that first one. And then to be inside the community and see how accommodating they are and the drivers, it, it it won me over immediately. Wow. So how many years did you cover uh, racing before you went to, I guess, the dark side of PR, the as the journalists side? say? Yes. It was probably, let's see, so 92. I went to CART, 
which is IndyCar, mm-hmm. in 1996. Okay. So I didn't cover it a ton, uh, but enough where I, I was pretty well-versed on both IndyCar and NASCAR. More on the NASCAR side, um, but I got a call from IndyCar, and they were looking for a news manager, and basically they were looking for a former sports writer um, that can write releases and such. So I didn't know if I wanted to go that way or not. You know, it was back in the day when newspapers were flourishing. Yeah. And I loved what I did because I got to cover such a variety of sports from World Cup to Citrus Bowl to all kinds of major events. So it was a great experience. And then they said, well, at CART, you can travel the world. You know, we go to Australia and Japan and Brazil, and uh, that kind of won me over. Yeah. That would be very attractive, uh, an opportunity to take advantage of. And so you got to do that. Um, what was that experience like? Absolutely incredible. Um, not only being part of a sanctioned body and see the inner workings of a sanctioned body and then learning that at NASCAR as well. Uh, traveling to different venues all across the world was just fabulous. Meeting people, understanding cultures like in Japan, uh, having a great time with drivers in Australia and Surface Paradise. Uh, we have so many stories uh, with Dario and Greg Moore and all those guys. Um, it was just such a cool experience because you went to places you probably would never vacation to at times. Like, for instance, I went to Tokyo. Probably would never vacation there, but an incredible experience. Uh, going down to Rio for Brazil, another place I would probably never vacation or, or think about it. Australia, definitely. I want to go back there. I was so fortunate to go six, seven times, but I'll go another ten times. It's a beautiful country. Wow. Um, and then even Canada. You know, living in the United States, I never dreamed of going on vacation to say Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal. We hit all those cities and they're absolutely fabulous. I tell all my friends, if you want to do a quick trip, I say go to Toronto in the summer, go to Vancouver, go to Montreal. They're fabulous cities. So I was very fortunate to to realize all the different countries and cultures and enjoy it. And I was Unlike some of the people that we had that travel with us, because they're all like, where's the McDonald's? Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, we're in Tokyo. I'm going to try sushi. I'm going to try some specialty items when we're in Australia, same thing, and they'd be looking for American food. Yeah. So why uh, did you go from CART to NASCAR then? I love CART. Um, I loved open wheel, and that was during the split. So, you know, at times it was difficult. Probably the most difficult thing for me was we lost uh, a number of drivers during that period. Um, one in particular, Greg Moore, who I was extremely close with. At Fontana. Yes. And then also Alex Nardi, another driver I was very close with, lost his legs in Germany, which was over the course of 9-11, which uh, was very, very difficult on me. I thought I was going to leave the sport then. Um, I had so many friends in it that drove cars that every time we raced, it was just very difficult for me to watch it and hope we got through a race. I see. So that took a toll on you. The the It started to weigh on you, the um, danger aspect of it and the emotional. It, it took an emotional toll. Big time. Um, i never forget the whole 9-11 situation. Um, we went over to Germany, and if you recall, everyone in the United States, all the sports, decided not to, to run at all or have any games. And we had to make a decision to go over there and the, and the uh, facility we're at, the entire region in Germany put their money in. And they told us, if you don't run here, we'll bankrupt the region. So we had that weighing on us as well. 
Plus, we had everyone over there in Germany, so we're like, why don't we run and honor those victims in 9-11? And we still got some criticism, but we thought it was the right thing, and eventually uh, we renamed the name of the race. And, uh, you know, we're, we're all dealing with that as Americans, and we were scared. I mean, we got over to Germany. I'll never forget, we landed, and we're in our room, and we were exhausted, so we all took a nap, and uh, Steve Schunk, who worked with us, calls me and he says turn on the tv i said i have it on there's some movie on where a plane just hit the twin towers like wow. I, I couldn't understand it you couldn't fathom that that was actually happening he goes no that's happening right now i'm like oh was it a private plane he's like no it was terrorists and i'm like oh my god so after that reality hit we're like we're stuck outside the united states and then we see on CNN on the ticker it says the car contingent in Germany is the largest American contingent outside the United States at this time. Oh, my gosh. So now we're all worried about is something going to happen to us? And yeah. Are we ever going to get home? So we got that weighing on us. And then we have this great race. And they, they did fabulous tributes to us. Um, the people over there were just amazing how heartfelt they were about uh, – talking to us about the situation how sorry they were and and thanking us for running that race and we were only a couple of laps away from that race and then uh alex tagliani and alex zanardi got into it and as soon as he hit him i was like oh my god this is bad and uh he lost his legs they saved his life and dr olvi called me and he says you need to come now we're getting on the helicopter so i went with uh Alex's wife and then uh, Ashley Judd was on that helicopter too. I followed behind the main one and we got to the hospital and they landed us on the pad and we had to go down and we saw the stair where they took him down and there was just blood everywhere. Oh my gosh. And then we get down there and all the drivers are there that got there as quick as they could and all his buddies, you know, Tony and, and Dario and Max and, and Jimmy Vassar and it was just like we didn't think he was going to make it. Wow. We were so scared, and, and we're like, God, please just let him make it. And then when we found out he was going to make it, you know, we needed a little brevity in that room, and we're like, man, is he going to be pissed when he finds out he might have lost his legs on that <laughs> deal? So uh, his wife in there, she came out, and she's like, he's doing all right. Uh, and when we finally got to see him, he's like, I'm just glad to see my wife, and he just had a child. And he's mm. like, I can do whatever I want without legs. And and he has been a huge inspiration to me ever since then because the way he handled that situation was absolutely amazing. Wow. And he, he'll he joke about it. Like, I'll never forget when I called him afterward, I said, hey, I just want to check in how you're doing and all that. And he goes, I have a dilemma. I said, what's wrong, Alex? He's like, I have to get fitted for new legs. He goes, I'm like you. I'm Italian. I'm short. He goes, I can actually be over six feet now. <laughs> he goes, but then I'm going to have to get new clothes. <laughs> so that's wow. the way he handled it. And he said that he would, I'll never forget from that down. He said, I will play soccer with my son. I will go swimming with my son. I will do everything with my son and family that I always wanted to do with or without legs. And he did. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. Um, so how soon after that did you say, you know what, um, I, I got to do something else or I, I, I got, I can't be so involved in this, uh, in cart. <clears throat> I thought I was going to, I was going to quit then. And, uh, 
I decided to stick it out because I just love the sport. And then Jim Hunter called me at NASCAR. Uh, actually, a headhunter call first, and then Hunter called me. And uh, he said, hey, why don't you come visit with me? And I was like, NASCAR was extremely successful like it is today. Actually, even more back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met him on a Saturday. I drove up from Cocoa Beach, and we talked for like three hours. It was an absolute amazing conversation. I'm like, I would love to work for this man. Wow. So at the time you went to work for NASCAR PR, you know, today, I, I'm not sure how many people they have in the integrated marketing communications. I'm guessing at least, you know, I 30 or something like that. How many people were on the PR staff when you went to NASCAR? We didn't have a fancy name either. We were just the PR team. Uh-huh. Um, we probably had, I'd say, maybe 8, 10 people, and that was assistance and everything. So uh, it was very streamlined. You had Hunter. You had a director, managers, and coordinators. That was it, and, and assistants. Um, we all worked together really, really well. Uh, we got a lot done. What I liked about it back then with, like, Herb Branham and Kate Davis and everyone was we're extremely tight with the drivers because we did so much with them. We work with them on a daily basis. And I was fortunate enough that Hunter wanted me to handle the competition side of PR because of what I did at IndyCar. So he moved me up to the R&D center. And I got a lot more integrated on that competition side, which which was a lot of fun and dealing with Mike Helton. And also the R&D team with Gary Nelson and everything. So it was, it was very educational too. So... What um, what did you learn from, I guess, the cart stuff that applied to the NASCAR stuff that you could take there? I guess the biggest one would have been crisis management, unfortunately. Um, Hunter quizzed me a lot about how we handled things, um, uh, how we changed some of our processes in terms of crisis management, because every time we had one, I, I got very involved in it because I knew we had to make changes ever s- since my first year when we lost Jeff Krosnoff. I saw a lot of things we didn't do right. Um, but it's a crisis, so that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we talked a lot about crisis management, um, and I learned a lot on the NASCAR side about how integrated they were with each department to take one item and make it as big as possible, whether it was the chase back then chase for the championship mm-hmm. <clears throat> and make it huge because they would we'd have meetings and they'd integrate all the departments and say what are you going to do to make this big whether it was aftermarket or as PR um, it, that was very very educational for me about seeing a big company take something and raise it to a higher level so you're living in Florida you're working for NASCAR you've now you've worked for a newspaper you've worked for cart you've worked for NASCAR itself why Texas Motor Speedway I had no plans to leave NASCAR. Um, I loved it. I loved working for Hunter. Um, I loved the sanctioning body. It was just a lot of fun. Uh, I felt very privileged to work there. And then Eddie Gossage calls me and he says, hey, I got an opening down here. I want you. Why don't you come down? I said, I don't have an interest. I'm, I'm happy. And mm-hmm. I'd only been to Texas for the race. He goes, why don't you come down and just talk to me? I said, all right. So I came down, and, and we had lunch. He took me out to the facility. Even though I've been here, when it's empty, it was massive. I was like, wow. And we talked, and we had a great conversation. And when I left, I'll never forget, he said, you'll be working for me. <laughs> and I said, we'll see about that. He says, well, I could give you something NASCAR can't. And he goes, it's not money. It's not this. It's not that. He goes, I give you time off. Oh. And I got to that point with NASCAR where, you know, I was doing 28 to 30 races because – uh, Hunter's back was going out, so 
uh, Mike Helton liked me to be that number two guy on the competition side. So as much as I loved it, I started to feel the burnout a little bit. And uh, I called Eddie the next week, just like he said, and here I am. But the backstory on that was that cart incident down here. Which is what? So cart came down here to run, and we never tested. And uh, we had... What, high, what year is this? This would have been 2001, I okay. believe. That was another thing that helped me move from cart to nascar too so we came down here uh first cart event in texas big deal and you know eddie makes everything big and and it was going to be exciting and we did the premiere of driven uh not a great movie but you know <laughs> it was part of the week and we didn't run because the g-forces were so uh so high on the drivers that we had drivers passing out it it got extremely dangerous uh, mauricio guzelman hit the wall in turn two here and wound up in turn four. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. They were going like 200 and I want to say 236, 238 miles an hour on a mile and a half track. So the the G-forces were taking such a toll, <clears throat> even on these car drivers who are used to high G-forces, that they couldn't, they just could not get around the track. Correct. So you're not supposed to do sustainable Gs at more than four to six seconds. And I think... I'm trying to remember back then, 22-second lap, they had 18 seconds of sustained Gs. Wow. And the drivers were just talking about, uh, Michael Andretti talking about it felt like he had a 100-pound weight on his chest the entire lap. Max Pappas was talking about he didn't know if he was on the front stretch or the back stretch. Oh, my gosh. Um, We had another driver um, black out for a little bit, and, and it was scary. And then we had to do the press conferences and eddie wanted to do one and we're going to do our own and we almost like dueling press conferences yeah and it almost turned into a duel between me and him because uh we're you know trying to protect our brand right and we did two separate press conferences which i didn't want and you know we took our stance he took their stance and that occurred and we left here and you know that was a disaster but then i went to nascar and what's the first race i go to Hunter sends me to Texas. Uh, <laughs> and I said, Jim, you know what happened at Cardi? He goes, oh, I know. And you're going there. I said, oh, hell. So there was a lot of bad blood with Eddie. <clears throat> well, I thought. So uh-huh. I'm like, I'm going to go in. I'm going to take my beating from him. And we had the uh, safety meeting. And he was in there. And he said, can I grab you for a second after this meeting? I said, oh, I'm going to get berated. Or he's going to tell me to go pack up and leave the track. Yeah. Although Hunter said, if you get that from him, you're staying. (laughs) So he pulled me aside and he said, hey, I hope there's no hard feelings. He said, "Um, I realize what you're doing and I hope you do what I was doing. I said, yeah. I said, we're both protecting protecting our brand. I said, I appreciated how you protected your brand and I had to do the same. I said, that's our lifeblood, Mm -hmm. you know, and I said, you know, you can't compromise on that. And I didn't expect you to do so either. And. That conversation, I don't know if it led to him making that call that time where he said, hey, I want Ziz to work for me. So, Wow. So, But certainly that had to help the respect level that you guys still share today. Yes. You've been able to work together, obviously, really well. Uh, make it, I mean, I don't know how many other, you know, PR track president combos are out there, but I would imagine that you're probably the longest. Probably. I mean, it, although he says I'm day to day all the time. So, oh, <laughs> and I believe it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 
Um, so, you know, you, you've made a home here. Uh, you know, is this where you see yourself ending your career? Um, you know, what else do you want to accomplish in your career? I love it here. Um, got married here. My wife's from Fort Worth. Uh, I got two great kids that love living in Texas. Um, I still miss Florida, but I love Texas. Um, I see myself staying here. I really, um, over the years, I like to help people. So I think as time goes on, if I have the opportunity, I'd like to do something where I can help or make an impact on the community. I do it with the Speeding to Read program at Texas Motor Speedway uh, with literacy and elementary school kids, which is dear to my heart just because of the impact you can make hmm. with just a little work, you know, uh, seeing the, the kids' faces and all that. So whether it's on the charity side, whether it's with education, I don't know. It's just something dear to my heart that I, I just love the look you see in someone's face when you can help them, uh, whether it's with education or just a charitable good deed. Well, speaking of helping people, I'm sure all the time you get some people who uh, want career advice from you and they say, hey, Ziz, you know, how do I get to where you're at? You know, I'd love to work at a track someday. Um, if you're going to somebody's listening and is, is interested in, in that kind of career path, you know, how, how would they go about getting started these days? I think one of the most important things besides what you decide in college, what you want to major in, I thought journalism was a great route for me. And I think journalism to this day was still very important to what I do in terms of writing press releases, strategic writing, script writing, all that type of writing, as you know as well. Um, it's very important to be able to uh, write intelligently and also uh, creatively. I'd say internships would probably be the one I think is most beneficial. When I look at resumes, I look at what they've done in terms of internships, because I know when I was in college, um, I was a good student, I was a B student. But when I worked at the Lakeland Ledger, I learned so much more. It wasn't about the inverted pyramid about writing a story. Mm -hmm. It was about deadline and hustling your butt off and getting that story to them in nine minutes or whatever it was, and you're in a panic mode, but you got to learn that. Um, I think internships give you a, a great perspective on a racetrack, how things are run. Um, and you also get some mentorship. If you have someone that works at a, a racetrack or with a baseball team and they want to spend some time with their interns, um, I think you can learn a lot. Mackenzie, who works for us, was an intern, um, and she learned a bunch, and she's learning this weekend for sure. Hmm. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure you have so many stories that you should write a book someday. I think it would be pretty fascinating and can't cover it all here on, on one podcast, but appreciate you taking the time to do that. My pleasure. And uh, we go way back and uh, I appreciate the time and uh, you're doing a great job with everything you do. And, and you've showed the, the versatility and diversity as the years have gone on from everything you've done to your own website now all the way back to USA Today and all the other outlets you've been at and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot. All right, everybody. So there you have it. And once again, so appreciative for Mike Zizzo to sit down on a busy race weekend and take so much time like that to tell his story. I really did get the sense that he has so many stories and we could have gone on forever and ever. 
but uh, I try to keep these podcasts to a reasonable length, especially since he had other things to do during the Texas race weekend. So um, hopefully someday we can find another reason to explore more of his stories. Yeah, I think I really do think he should write a book. He's he's seen so much and has probably so many amazing tales through all these drivers that he's been around, and I think it would be pretty interesting to read more about that. Speaking of dabbling in both open wheel and stock car, I am off to Long Beach this week for the Long Beach Grand Prix. So the next podcast will likely be from Long Beach, although I'm keeping an eye on the weather from Bristol Motor Speedway, and I'm not sure how that's going to affect the post-race podcast because, of course, I want to include thoughts about that as well, in addition to the Long Beach experience where I'm going for IndyCar. So um, I'm not sure when the post-race podcast will take place or in what form or with who, but uh, the next podcast you hear will likely be from California, and hopefully we're talking about both Long Beach and Bristol, and the Bristol race goes off as planned, but we will see. If you happen to be doing any Amazon shopping this weekend while you're watching all the racing going on, please consider starting your shopping with the link jeffgluck.com Amazon. What happens is you type that into your browser, it takes you right to the Amazon homepage, and at no cost to you, gives a commission for my website and the podcast to help me out, help keep this thing going. So I'd appreciate that if you are doing anything on Amazon coming up, not only this weekend, but anytime. Really hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you like the How I Got Here series, next week's podcast is with Christine Curley, and that's another great one as well, very compelling. So I hope you will tune in for that in addition to the 12 questions with Ty Dillon that comes out on Tuesday. So until then, thanks as always for listening, and I'll talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.